37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back yet again to another episode of Pixelated Paranormal. So, uh, again, it's just me and you, buddy, because uh, Steven is tied up with some stuff, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay, because you and I are way too cheap for therapy, and um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think we're going to need this episode to get over something. Yeah. So we had uh, we had grandiose plans uh, for a really big show about gnomes. We're going to get back into the cryptid encounters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, tiny fairy folk, but then we suffered a huge blow between last episode and today. And uh, first we lost David Bowie, and then we lost Robin Williams, Stephen Hawkins. Uh, we lost Prince, mm-hmm. and fucking now we lost Stan Lee. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a good thing Stephen's not here, because if he was here, he'd be present to see the two of us crying into our microphones. <laughs> uh, you know, out of so, yeah. out of all of those um, that have passed away within the last two years, yeah, um, really the ones that have hit me the hardest were Scott Weiland um, from Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver, mm-hmm. uh, David mm-hmm. Bowie, and now Stan Lee. Um, yeah, you see, you know, Stephen Hawking's, uh, was a brilliant scientist and, you know, his, his theories have really, you know, changed modern thinking. Um, but I don't think he was like one of my childhood heroes as much as Bowie, Stanley and Wyland was. So, yeah, uh, Hawking's was more of like, a adult hero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once I got old enough to start thinking about science more and then more being more aware of it. It finally kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when he passed. But, but yeah, you know, David Bowie and, and for me, Robin Williams and Stan Lee, like those were three people that I always really loved watching and seeing. And they were so influential on so many different levels, man. And yeah, uh, yeah I was uh, I was actually at work when Corey had texted us. Uh, that was That was me. <laughs> did, was, you, did you? No, I thought Corey texted No, us. I was the first one. I said, Stanley, die, question mark, because I was in shock. Like, oh, I wanted somebody damn. else to confirm okay, yeah. <laughs> What? Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, you text me that. And I was like, no, we've had 4,000 of these, you know, bogus claims. And it's just a false alarm. And I hit Twitter and, like, all of a sudden, like, TMZ is reporting on it and everything else. And thankfully, I was on my lunch break because I cried. Yeah. I cried a little bit. Got, and, a little, uh, got a little teary eyed. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty big blow, man. Um, he was such a huge powerhouse, and with him, together with like, you know, phenoms like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and John Ramada Sr. and countless others, they not only saved Marvel Comics or, or what it was before Marvel, Marvel Comics, uh, but Marvel Comics as we know it, but also as comic books as a whole. You know, I don't, there's no alternate reality for us in the real world yeah. on this earth, but I would think that I don't even know if we'd really have the DC comics as we have today without, you know, Stan Lee and, and that group of guys to influence comics back then. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one of the quotes that I, I posted on Facebook after his death talked about how, you know, Stanley was a guy that really went out there almost like one of those sideshow presenters because, he, you know, went to every corner, uh, you know, 
and then promoted, promoted, promoted because everybody right. back in the day thought that, you know, this is just childhood, you know, child fantasy, child stories. Like there's nothing to comics. Like it's a very just kind of dry, you know, unimportant thing. And to him. Yeah, they were funny papers. Yeah. And, and timely comics, that's what they did. They just posted your cheap, you know, funny papers, penny, penny papers yeah. and stuff like that. And he was the guy that said, no, there's something more to it. And he showed the world that, you know, hidden inside every every person is that imagination of a child. And, you know, the, there's this ability to carry this important lesson, um, this important story. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, back when we were planning this episode tonight, um, you know, when I was a kid, like one of the one of the the main childhood shows that we always watched was Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. And, you know, Mr. Rogers yeah. always said, like, you know, I love you for who you are, like everybody's special. But, there, you know, there was never really any any story or anything behind that. And like, I think that's what Stan Lee did with comic books. Like he showed that every, oh, yeah. everybody's talented and everybody's special, but he did it in such a way with these amazing stories that, you know, he tackled racism, you know, tackled being gay and things like that with these characters yep. and made you fall in love with these characters in such a way that, uh, I mean, yeah, it's such a tremendous blow losing him. It's it's really unbelievable, man. And that's uh, it's funny. You, I've had that later on in the notes about, you know, Stan Lee and Marvel Comics, especially Stan Lee primarily it really taught us a lot about uh, acceptance and tolerance, you know, with uh, with racism and sexuality, um, with the X-Men and, um, you know, with great power comes great responsibility through Spider-Man and all these characters. And at the end of the day, they weren't just little kids like, oh, gee whiz, you just solved the mystery. It was, you know, regular people fighting normal problems. You yeah. know, Peter Parker had to fight Dr. Octopus, but also had like a giant zit on prom night. And he could go out there and, and just, you know, toss it up with the best of them. And then he still had to worry about a date to prom. Or how to pay the electricity bill for his Aunt May. Like legitimate problems that we all had. And with X-Men, you know, he – with X-Men and, and, and characters he developed later on, he made playgrounds safe for, you know, you know people of color. Yeah. He, made it, he made it okay to be on a playground and playing with, you know, different colored skin. You know, you could have heroes that were black, heroes that were girls. It wasn't just, you know, the, the blue-eyed, square-jawed, blonde, white man's game anymore. Yeah. And he actually really gave us, if you think about it, he gave us very important, you know, racial characters. Like before, mm -hmm. you know, Black Panther or before Falcon, like the, you know, all your minority characters were, were never the serious ones. They always had very right. small, unimportant roles. And, you know, he was the first one that started developing these characters and really gave us strong, you know, minority characters. Like growing up as a kid, like Falcon with the like the Afro and that 70s vibe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see, man. And like back when he worked at Timely Comics, he went from being like, like the intern, you know, like filling up coffee cups and uh, making sure everybody had their ink pens and their uh, – shit, they probably used freaking ink wells back then, I bet. But <laughs> made sure everybody had the equipment they needed. And secretly, he was a pretty decent writer. Yeah. And not a lot of people realize, but he was more than just a comic book editor and writer. He was a brilliant author. And if you guys ever have a chance, regardless or irregardless of your religious beliefs, check out a poem that he wrote called God Woke – and this is kind of a story about, you know, 
God waking up and looking down at the earth and seeing what his creations have turned into. And it's a pretty good read. If nothing else, it lets you see what an actual writer he was. It has nothing to do with, you know, people catching on fire or swinging from webs. It's just a man who just wrote really, really well. He was an amazing author. Yeah. Among so much other stuff, but. And, you know, my childhood was filled with collecting Marvel Fleer cards. And so I have all the Spider-Man from 93 to 97, all the X-Men from 93 to right. 97. I have crates of fucking comic books like Spider-Man, X-Men, you name it, I have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm the same way. That's where our uh, our initial friendship, I think, blossomed yeah. from. You and me was was comic books. I was uh, I was chasing after that white whale I had of that Juggernaut Marvel Legends action figure, and I <laughs> <laughs> had been looking for like ten years for that stupid thing. And then here you are, like, oh, I've got like three of them. <laughs> so if you want one, just, you know, it's yours. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm still looking for these X Men cards from 1994, and yeah. I'm like, I got an incomplete set. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then it was like, <laughs> yeah. And what was interesting too about Stan Lee. Uh, getting back to his earlier years, um, there's a really famous quote he had where he says, I used to be embarrassed because I was just a comic book writer while other people were building bridges, going to medical careers. And I began to realize entertainment is one of the most important things in people's lives. Without it, they might go off the deep end. I feel like if you're able to entertain people, you're doing a good thing. And it's it's crazy to see like that guy mm-hmm. going that far in his career and then also second guessing his own his own career path but he's right he influenced so many people because just i mean way beyond just the comic books and the card collecting like you learn so many values and you could escape the real world you know by reading those comics and no matter how bad your day was at school or at work you could run home and crack open one of these comics and just get lost for a little while and Imagine what it's like to be somebody else or just realize that maybe you don't have it so bad when, you know, Spider-Man can't afford to keep the lights on in his own apartment yeah. or he too is having women's troubles, stuff like that. But Tony Stark was an um, alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I forgot about that. Yeah. He, uh, what's it called? The monster in the, I forget what the episode, the issue is called something about a monster in a bottle or the bottom of a bottle or whatever, but. Yeah, they they actually focus a little bit on that uh, on Iron Man 2 when he gets plastered and he has to duck out for a little while and he gets in that huge fight with War Machine because he's just shit-faced and plastered all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, we don't have much of a news story, but I do have one piece in here. Um, it's a news story about how basically Bill Maher is a giant asshole. Um, <laughs> actually, did you hear about this? No, but it's actually a piece of shit. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to censor that asshole or piece of shit. He's an asshole piece of shit. Yeah. So um, this was all over um, online shortly after Stanley had passed away. Um, and I'll just kind of read it. I didn't really have time to paraphrase it, but. It says here that TV personality Bill Maher is in hot water recently all across social media for a blog post which he questions the legitimacy of comic books as a medium dropping Stan Lee's name and disrespecting the recently deceased in the process. So in his blog, he slams Americans for, quote, using their smarts on stupid stuff. And he goes on to point out that fans were overreacting, in his opinion, to moments following Lee's passing. 
The guy who created Spider-Man and the Hulk has died, and America is in mourning, Mar said. Deep, deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. Someone on Reddit posted, I'm so incredibly grateful I live in a world that includes Stan Lee. And then Mar goes on to say, I personally am grateful I live in a world that included oxygen and trees, but to each his own. Now, I have nothing against comic books. I read them now and then when I was a kid, and I was all out for Hardy Boys. But the assumption everyone had back then, both as adults and kids, was that comics were for kids. And when you grow up, you moved on. Big boy books without the pictures. And then he goes on to blah, 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 saying that dumb people got to be professors as they wrote papers on these uh, wrote papers about these comic book characters. 20 years ago or so, something happened. Adults decided they didn't have to give up kid stuff. And so they pretended comic books were actually sophisticated literature. And because America has over 4,500 colleges, which means we need more professors and we have smart people, some dumb people got to be professors by writing these with titles like Otherness and Heterodoxity in the Silver Surfer. And now, when adults are forced to grow up and do things like buy auto insurance, they call it adulting and act like it's some giant struggle. On, on a side note, I hate that. I fucking hate that term adulting, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I use it to make fun of situations like, oh, my God, I adulted today. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's part of right. being an adult. Like, it's just like you fucking deal with it. Like, I don't get what the big deal is, but, you know. You know what? Yep. Fuck you, Bill Maher. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember exactly. I'm already yeah, done. Right. <laughs> Yeah, fuck you. He seems like a man who's got a feeble attempt just to grasp at some controversy to make ratings go up. But I, I, I just don't think he gets it. I feel like that's all it really honestly is. Yeah. It's just a cheap grab at some ratings and just to be on the tip of everybody's tongue because, you know, like we just said, Stanley did a lot for people. Um, he had another famous quote about basically addressing this whole entire thing of like our comic books for kids or adults or, or what. And Stan goes on to say that, quote, the man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And the kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have proportionate strengths of a spider. We're all one big family, the human family. And we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that goes upward and onward to greater glory. In other words, Excelsior. So, you know, I, I hit Twitter. After this happened, just to kind of see what was going on, because I was, you know, like, like I always do with these big things, I go to Twitter and see what everybody's saying. And I found this girl, her name was Alieni EQ. And on her Twitter, she had said, I'm standing here today because of comic books and fantasies. As a little girl who watched her mother die, if I hadn't had a fantasy world with heroes and magic to disappear into, I never would have escaped that grief. That's just me. Imagine how others... Imagine how many others he saved. And it's a complete stranger. And that's kind of the cool thing about Twitter. Sometimes you can have actual, you know, meaningful conversations with strangers. And so I replied back to her. And I said, well said. Stan Lee is, was a legend and most likely saved many of us from some pretty dark holes in our life that we fell into. Dark places that nothing can save us from. Nothing except for webs, claws, lasers, ink, and the smell of old paper. Cheers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to butcher her name, Allegheny. And then she replies back, thank you. And then it just goes on like this very beautiful, loving conversation between all these strangers. And, and this guy says, 
not to mention his insistence on trying to teach kids and adults how to grow up and be decent people, mm-hmm. to never give up, that friends can be family when you've lost it all. And then he puts, you know, it references X-Men, and anyone can be a hero in their own right if they help somebody. And then she says, X-Men was my favorite. That was the reason I felt so, or that was my favorite for that reason, because I always felt so alone. This guy goes on to say, I'm glad they could help you see you weren't alone in this world. You just needed those who would welcome you into their hearts and be friends and the family you needed. And of course, you know, it goes on and on and on. And then it just kind of envelops into this giant, oh yeah, comics saved me this way, comics saved me that way. So in short, fuck you, Bill Maher. I mean, I, I think he, I think he did. I think he did miss the what, what's the phrase? Miss the buck, miss the bullet, miss the mark. Um, yeah, because like you know, growing growing up as a kid, like that's that's one thing that inspired me as far as like art goes. Because like I would yeah. I would go to like these co- like comic conventions or record conventions or like you know garage right. sales, and you would see these comic books, and like that became like a bonding thing between me and my dad because he would always like you know here's a dollar go get what you want, and then you right. know I would look back when a dollar could get you something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know he even like would get excited at Christmas just to watch me open these box sets of cards, and then we would spend time opening yeah. them up together and going through them, and then I would spend like my days like copying this artwork from my favorite cards, and <laughs> right, and so and now I've kind of passed that on to my son because like you know he likes to look at my action figures, and I tell him that they're collectibles because when you're adults, <laughs> they're collectibles <laughs> and not action figures. But you know we, we share they're not dolls. Yeah, they're not dolls, damn it. But you know and. Even with uh, you know my stepdaughter, we share that passion because as a family we go out to these movies and you know we as a family we watch Black Panther or we watch you know Infinity Wars and you know now I'm sharing that experience with my kids that I got from my father and you know right. so it's just it's a lot more than just you know children's fairy tales or make believe or you know little boy books with pictures because of all the mm-hmm. all the different meetings that are associated with it so you know what fuck you Bill Maher. Go <laughs> fucking choke on like a dick. <laughs> I almost choked on my water just now. <laughs> that should be the title of the episode. Fuck you, Bill Maher. <laughs> oh yeah, man. That's that's funny you mentioned that. That's the exact same way I learned how to draw. Is I taught myself by when I was in like first grade tracing over pictures of Spider-Man from coloring books and comic books and then slowly learning how to draw it, you know, piece by piece on my own looking at it. And then, uh, yeah, it got me where I am today. Yeah. I mean, I like to think I'm halfway decent at drawing and, uh, it's, it's all from comics. And then I just, I used to love, um, you know, being, uh, let me rephrase that. I didn't love being colorblind, <laughs> being partially colorblind. I used to love racing home after school and grabbing these comic books and the bright, vibrant colors you could see on there, you know, made the pages come to life. And it also helped me, you know, see a world that I was kind of missing yeah. in some aspect. And, uh, yeah, you relate to that too. Yeah. <sighs> We're both broken. Yeah. Um, fucking Wolverine <laughs> with that fucking blue and yellow color scheme. Like those motherfuckers pop. <laughs> Right. right. You're more of an earthy tones when he was the brown and yellows, huh? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I used to love it, man. The colors and just the the fighting and the the way you could draw a human body swinging through the air or crawling up a wall. And then just like you said, stacks and stacks of comics. I would go to garage sales too and just buy comics. I didn't care what they were, 
who they were of. You know, if there's a Spider-Man shit, yeah, I'm going to buy that in a heartbeat. But and that fucking smell of the paper, like that that paper has such oh, yeah. a unique smell. Like nothing smells like yep. a fucking comic book. It's funny you said that because <laughs> um, I've got Amazing Spider-Man issue 600 and uh, – I'm sorry – 363 in my hand and I haven't opened this thing out of its little protective sleeve in probably 10 or 15 years and it has that smell. I smelled it while you were saying that and it still has that smell. <laughs> it still has that, the pages are a little yellowed but it still has that kind of soury paper smell that, you know, that's it, man. Just stacks of comic books on your bed and your nightstand and just digging into them. Yeah. And then the comic cards too. Um, you, we were just talking about that, and you said, yeah, hey, I've got a card of uh, the Wendigo, and the one I pictured is the the kind of bluish beast behind the, the hunter mm-hmm. from uh, the 94 Fleers. And then sure as shit, that's a card you sent me. <laughs> 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 Which it will, and we'll get to Wendigo here in a minute because I have something funny to say about that or, or interesting or just plain stupid. But, yeah, it's good to talk about it, man. We took a huge blow. Uh, and we all knew he was going to die eventually. Like the man's 95 when he passed away, but uh, yeah, it just kind of sucks. I mean, you just got to rip the bandaid off, but it still hurts, you know, which I think that, uh, you know, that hopefully that they, they have his cameo in the next, uh, you know, we'll get to see him in uh miss Mar- or what was it? Miss Marvel, Captain, Captain, Marvel. Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to see him in Avengers four, um, and, and, you know, that's kind of bittersweet. So, yeah, yeah, that was a fun little game to play. You know, where is he going to be now? And I think if I read the proper source, we should get one more in Captain Marvel. Um, the next, uh, yeah, the next Infinity War or Avengers and also in the new Spider-Man. I believe they got him in that, too. Oh, good deal. But I mean, there's still plenty of ways to put him in there. Even if you don't want to CGI his face in there, you could still have you know billboards or, or comic yeah. books or stuff like that. Or in a there's creative ways. Deadpool uh, two, he was one of the bust in the X Men Mansion, and when Deadpool was in the Xavier wheelchair, he knocked into it, knocked it over, and broke it. So, oh, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> you know another uh, another. I guess they're trying to pass an actual like petition right now is that moving forward because Marvel now kind of has the rights back to all their shit. Like Disney owns the rights to all those again to put Deadpool in every Marvel movie, but wearing the Stan Lee double bridge glasses and a mustache and the sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that'd be so fucking great. <laughs> It'd be pretty great. Wouldn't it? Mm. It'd be campy. I think after a minute, but he, he would be the only character cinematically who could do that in his own right and still be true to, you know, true to form being that fourth dimension hopper. But yeah, still pretty rad. Um, speaking of Deadpool, did you see the trailer for the new Deadpool re-release? Have you heard anything about that? No, what the fuck's going on with that? Really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, hang on. Awkward pause here. Let me look it up real quick. Did you ever see, I think it was Princess Bride that had uh, Fred Savage in it? Yeah. And so Fred Savage is like sick at home from school and his dad's reading him the fairy tour, uh, the, the fairy tale. And that's the movie we see is his dad telling him the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So Deadpool 2 is being re-released in theaters for a limited time engagement for Christmas, but it's going to be a PG-13 cut. What? And they're calling it. Once upon a Deadpool, 
And basically, the shtick is that <laughs> Deadpool kidnaps Ryan Sa- or uh, Fred Savage and reads him the Deadpool two movie just like his dad did back. <laughs> <laughs> On Princess Bride. I'll send you the trailer. It's really great. Everybody should look it up. But yeah, he made the joke about, yeah, we could do this, but only if Fred Savage, you know, agreed to join in. And then Fred Savage is like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. I want to do it. <laughs> so they got together and like they shot all the additional scenes in like one day. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be a, it's going to be the same movie, but it's going to be a PG-13 cut. Um, it's rumored there may be additional scenes put in there as well to make it a slightly different movie. But yeah, then you're going to have all the extras, uh, you know, uh, probably what, eight or ten different scenes they're going to break from the movie and get back to the dialogue between Fred and uh, Deadpool. But I think it's going to be pretty sweet. I'm excited to see it. <laughs> but, you know, what's funny is Steve and I were talking when we were on the way to Kentucky. It's actually kind of smart because Disney's really nervous about Deadpool because they got the rights back to that as well. And they know how popular it is. Mm-hmm. And it would be a huge, you know, cutting your own foot off if you're like, sorry, guys, we don't do R-rated movies. And Steve's like, you can do it now. You can do a full-on, you know, unrated, R-rated Deadpool 3 in theaters. And then you just have to release simultaneously or shortly after that a PG-13 cut. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's brilliant. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And I said, well, shit, it's almost a genius plan because people are going to see that movie twice. Yeah. Because I'll probably I'll probably go catch De- Once Upon a Deadpool on, you know, a Friday night or maybe a $5 uh Wednesday night at the Old Town Warren. Could, I want to see what's different about it. Because I'll feel like less of a bad parent letting my son watch Once Upon a Deadpool versus the rated <laughs> yeah. R. Like, Daddy wants rated R for himself, but then I need the PG-13 version for the kiddos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's some stuff in there that kids shouldn't see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all in all, what a what a shitty what a shitty week losing Stan Lee, man. Yeah. I I need to go through now and and try to pick up some of his earlier stuff and read some of his earlier comics. Well, with with all that sadness and and somber talk, um it wouldn't be pixelated paranormal unless we talked about some weird shit. So um, kind of keeping on the same topic of comic books, um, we're going to get into a few of our favorite paranormal creatures who actually have uh, their own characters based in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty short list. We've only got three. But, um, yeah, we put together kind of a quick list of Marvel cryptids. And the first one, Presto, I had never heard of. Did you ever hear of the Abominable Snowman in Marvel? Nope. Nope, me neither. (laughs) So the first one on our list here is going to be the Abominable Snowman, a.k.a. Yeti. And I'll just kind of go over some quick, um, you know, biographies of these characters. And this is going to be back in the 1960s. And that's probably why you and I missed it, Mm -hmm. because this was back from like the old Stanley Jack Kirby uh, probably did co as well. 1960s Tales to Astonish from Marvel Comics, but... It says here, centuries, for centuries, man has wondered about the mysterious creature livering, livering, living in the wintry climates that may or may not hold ill will towards humanity. Readers of the 1960s Tales to Astonish number 13 get some answers. While hanging out in the Calcutta bar, Big Carl Hansen overheard a man talking about a photo he'd gotten off another bloke of the abominable snowman. 
in an, an attempt to alleviate the gent of his newfound responsibility and potential fortune, Big Carl ambushed him outside and relieved him of the supposed cursed photo. And what that means is he stole the picture from him after kicking his ass. <laughs> Carl then hopped a train to the Himalayas. <laughs> Carl then hopped a train to the Himalayas with big plans formulating about actually capturing the snowman for himself. Upon arrival, many natives told him that the picture would lead to his absolute ruin. But unperturbed, Carl trudged into the mountains alone in search of his quarry. No matter how many obstacles stood in his way, Big Carl continued on his search bullheadedly. He stomped through snow, assuming he could survive, only to lose himself in the process. By the end, he actually began to grow long hair, get accustomed to the icy chill of the wind, and soon became the abominable snowman himself, perfectly matching the image he carried in his pocket. I am super, super serial! <laughs> so yeah, that's like the first of our cryptids way back in the 60s. Is Basically, the dude set off to uh, capture a Yeti, and in a Twilight Zone twist of fate, soon became the Yeti himself. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. And the next one is one that you and I both know pretty well. And that is of good old Sasquatch. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Now, you, you had a card. The card you have about Sasquatch, did it have a biography about him on it? No, I mean, it, it didn't because basically so it was the 96 Flair because um, he wasn't in like 94, 95. But in like 96, they did um, Weapon X and then Department H, which yeah. Wolverine was in both of those. And so Sasquatch was part of the Department H. And so basically, you know, you get the artwork, which is fucking amazing on the front of the card. And then when you turn over the back of the card, it, it, it did give you like a quick bio, but it basically just said like, you know, this is Sasquatch's real name. He appeared in like these comics. And then the back of the card was uh, just like an excerpt of one of the comic stills. Um, so the 96, they didn't really go into much detail, whereas one of the other characters we're going to talk about from 94, it did give a little bit of a bio. So... Hell yeah. Well, the Sasquatch in Marvel Comics was a man by the name of Dr. Walter Langowski. He was a native of Vancouver, British Columbia, a professor of both physics and biophysics at McGill University, and a former football player for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> <laughs> but when he wasn't throwing the old pigskin or solving physics, he also possessed the ability to transform into super strong orange-haired beast resembling the legendary Sasquatch. And unlike the Incredible Hulk, it's pretty much kind of an Incredible Hulk-type character. He could transform from his human form into this giant hulking beast. But the difference between Hulk and Sasquatch is that Lingowski could actually transform at will. So in his transformed state, he had increased strength, stamina, resistance to injury, but he was also covered in long orange hair with giant sharp claws and sharp teeth able to leap incredibly far distances. And like, you know, like the other thing too, like with the Hulk is whenever Bruce Banner became the Hulk, it was almost like uh, the brutish form of Bruce Banner, like very barbaric, very primitive. So like mm -hmm. Hulk smash, me Hulk, me no like. Whereas like the Sasquatch, he was still very brilliant, very smart. Um, and... 
you know, when he interacted with the characters, he's almost like a, a like a bigger badass version of Beast. Yeah, kind of, huh? Yeah. Yeah, because you're exactly right. He maintained his humanity when he transformed. These powers were the result of Langowski's self-experimentation with gamma radiation. In an attempt to become like the Hulk, Langowski bombarded himself with gamma ray projectors at his laboratory near the Arctic Circle. As a proposed explanation for why he transformed into an orange instead of green behemoth, as gamma radiation prefers to turn people green, Langowski assumed it had something to do with the Aurora Borealis. What? Yeah, boy. <laughs> but in reality, what happened was whenever he shot himself with gamma rays, it opened up a uh, doorway to another dimension called the Realm of the Great Beasts. And when the realm opened up, a mysterious, um, mis- a mystical beast called the Tanarak invaded Langowski's body, granting him his powers at will. But much like the Hulk in the beginning stages, uh, the Sasquatch turned into kind of a mindless, angry beast and Lingowski actually had to practice and was eventually successful at putting his humanity into the creature when he transformed, thus, like you said, allowing him to be a very intelligent brute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, there's comics where he's very well-spoken, and there was one where, like, uh, he has to save some hero who's, you know, dying in the tundra, and it shows this really sweet scene of him, hair blowing in the wind, fur blowing in the wind, and he's got this like Wolverine or somebody, and he's like, oh, let's get you into someplace warmer. <laughs> <laughs> like my so, Hulk, like my hairy arms. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's a fun fact. In the 1993 miniseries, The Infinity Crusade, it's revealed that Sasquatch is Jewish. What? So fuck you, Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) And fuck you again, Bill Maher. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just in case you're still listening, Bill. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. And uh, dude, you saw the pictures. When we were in Kentucky, we went to a comic store and they had a really cool bust of Sasquatch from like the waist up with his arms raised up in the air like he's either saying, you know, you want to fight me or like some kind of, you know – angry yell i wanted that thing so bad but i just couldn't part with 60 bucks to take it home and now i'm really kicking myself (laughs) (laughs) i wanted it just because it was a fucking sasquatch it'd look cool on my desk next to all my paranormal books but (sighs) no dice maybe no yeah maybe i'll send rob some money and have him pick it up for me mail it to me hell yeah yeah we'll see but yeah. Um, the last one we're going to get to here, Preston, you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. is the Windigo or the Vindigo or yep, yep. the Windigo. And first things first, you got that sweet little 1994 Flair Ultra card. Explain to us what this card looks like. So you have like this very dark scene in the in the woods. So like you have like dark blues for the sky. And then, like, you know, you're like, you're kind of like darker green gray pine trees. And there is a ghostly bluish white creature, the Wendigo, with like fucking Medusa uh, <laughs> hair thing going on. Fabio hair. Yeah, Fabio hair. <laughs> and he's reaching out very, you know, maniacally toward a hunter, um, like with the, with the little bomber hat and, and, you know, his rifle, a rifle. Mm-hmm. And uh, like he's hunting Tom Selleck. Yeah, 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 pretty much with that mustache. <laughs> and uh, so when you, when you turn it over, um, 
the so the back of the card it says it, it'll give you you know the villain so he's a villain card number seventy seven and uh, it'll give you the, the the character's name and then below it, it it has a real name and it's stated as it's unrevealed so we don't know who the Wendigo is and the mm-hmm. group affiliation he's none he's not with any you know villainous group he's just on his own out in the the Canadian wilderness you know kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says for powers, uh, bestial strength, the strength and power of a savage beast. And then the the little bio excerpt was: no one knows the name of the man cursed by the terrible power of the Wendigo, the mystery or the mystical monster whose cravings can only be uh, stated by the flesh of the living. Dun dun dun. <laughs> That's it. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, he. Uh... I didn't know a whole lot about Wendigos back when this card got released. And we've talked about Wendigos a little bit on the show. Mm -hmm. Up until about, you know, six months ago, I always thought the Wendigo basically was a type of creature like a Sasquatch. Nope. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was a big hairy beast that roamed the the forest, kind of like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, and just ate people. And then you started talking about the Algonquins and the Indians and how basically it's a spirit that punishes people and turns them into rabid uh, cannibals yeah. and blah, blah, blah. It's based on greed and, and, and gluttonous uh, behavior and everything else. So, If you ever want to see a really great movie that's kind of like a modern spin, uh, Ravenous, that came out in like 2002, 2003 – um, oh yeah, great, great movie. Uh, it deals with that folklore and uh, takes place in like the late 1800s and westward expansion when they're out in like California and Robert Car- Carl Carlisle and uh, God, what the fuck is that guy's name? Um, he played uh, the Mandarin in the third Iron Man. Oh yeah, Ben Kingsley. No, 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 the real Mandarin, not the fake Mandarin. Was there a real Mandarin in the movie? Yeah, because Ben Kingsley played like the fake actor, but then the other guy that had like the firepower or whatever was supposed to be the real. Oh, that wasn't the Mandarin. That was uh, what? That wasn't the Mandarin. What was that actor's name? Oh God, here we go. Hang on. <laughs> we were almost through Preston. <laughs> we almost made it. Iron Man three. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and be like, oh yeah, it was, um, oh God, it was one of those names. He was the nerd that fucking Tony Stark blew off in the beginning of the first, you know, part of the movie. Yeah. And yeah. It becomes like this super fucking Al, uh, Killian, Aldrich Killian. Yep. Yeah. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Yeah. So it's got those two actors in it. Fucking amazing movie. Do yourself a favor. Solid five boinkins. Go watch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Well back back on track here. Um the Marvel character the Windigo is more or less a vengeful spirit in a way and not so much a, a flesh and blood creature like the beast or uh Wolverine or even Sasquatch. The Marvel character is based on the Windigo legend of the Algonquin peoples. The Wendigo is not one specific person, but instead is the manifestation of a curse that can strike anyone who commits an act of cannibalism in the Canadian northern woods. 
Originally, only one person can become the Wendigo at a time, which has led one Wendigo being cured if another person was struck by the curse. <laughs> so basically, you, you were kind of screwed if you weren't killed. You just kind of had to run around eating people until somebody else was a bigger asshole than you were. Bill Maher. In later years, it was revealed that a pack of Wendigos lived in the Bering Strait. At one point, the Wendigo curse infected the Hulk, turning him into the Wendahulk although he was later cured. While normally depicted as a savage beast with no control, Wendigos have appeared as a part of a various villainous groups, showing some restraint when not fighting. The curse is a regional curse located in the woods of northern Canada and takes place under the right conditions when a person in the forests of Canada feeds on human flesh. The curse of the Wendigo was created by the northern gods, also known as the Anua, in an effort to deter human cannibalism. The cannibal transforms into a superhumanly strong, nearly indestructible, fur-covered monster, the Wendigo. He or she then roams the woods eating human beings. The Wendigo frequently fights the Hulk, Wolverine, and the Alpha Flight. Blah, 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 blah. It gives you a list of everybody who's become the Wendigo. And a fun fact, the monster known as the Wendigo first appeared in The Incredible Hulk number 162 back in April 1973 where it fought Wolverine and the Hulk. Hell yeah. Yeah. And in true giant monster fighting fashion, the Wendigo and Sasquatch have oftentimes gone toe-to-toe in the pages of Marvel Comics. Hopefully Sasquatch wins every time. <laughs> right, that's who we're rooting for. But <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of cool. And I didn't know this either. Speaking of pop culture, did you ever finish watching Hannibal? Or ever watch Hannibal at all? I did. I, th- I think Jeffrey and I polished it all off because I think I was upset okay, cool. that there was no more uh, you know, episodes to watch. Yeah, yeah. So you know during some of those ethereal sequences, you have what I was always calling the stag man. It's kind of like that black, tarry-looking, emaciated creature with, like, deer horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is called the Wendigo. Oh. I didn't know this, but Shayla got me the pop vinyl of the Wendigo uh, – for Hannibal, and the actual guy was called the Wendigo. And so that makes more sense because in traditional lore – Wendigos were more or less not giant furry Bigfoot creatures like I thought, but more or less they were said to be kind of like a emaciated zombie type creature who was always hungry, always thin, with an insatiable appetite. So that's why on the Hannibal TV show, that kind of dream sequence creature was always so thin and emaciated because it basically represented the cannibalism that uh, Lecter was experiencing. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. And then, of course, uh, the Wendigo supposedly is rumored to be in Fallout 76 as well. Oh, speaking of that, because I, I didn't want to do it without you, um, I did get that as a, a miscellaneous mission when I was playing the other night. Oh, really? And it's titled Kill a Wendigo with a Clown Suit. <laughs> Well, buddy, I think we know what we're doing when we get off of here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. 
well, dude, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Um, I think that was cathartic and it felt good to get that out. And uh, neither one of us shed a tear that I could tell. So that's yeah. a plus. Came close. <laughs> came close. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I may have gotten a little quivery in there. But uh, yeah, man, long story short, Stan Lee, rest in peace. Yeah. And speaking of words of Stan Lee, did you know that the original phrase in Spider-Man was not with great power comes great responsibility, but in fact, with great power, there must also come great responsibility? No, no, I never knew that. I did not either. Uh, It was shortly, I think, in a lot of dream sequences and flashback sequences, shortened to with great power comes great responsibility. But the original quote was, with great power, there must also come uh, slash or dash great responsibility. And it was not somebody saying it. It was pinned into one of the corner blocks, kind of like the narrator section of the comic. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sweet. Well, plug something, and then uh, we'll get out of here. Well, as always, want a beard, need a beer, want to grow an Excelsior beard? Then check out <laughs> BigDopsBeardBomb.com, and Sean's going to hit you with the promo. Use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your entire purchase. And then, uh, yeah, check out Mark's solo cast show, Pixelated Sausage, where he delves into all sorts of crazy and zany and kooky pop culture. And Preston, what's my favorite race car podcast? Sports Cars Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check them out if you like cars that go fast. Vroom, vroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, on a side note, I also want to mention, too, we just got our 15th rating on iTunes. Oh, shit. Uh, another five out of five, buddy. We're oh, doing yeah. all right. Did they, we are uh, 15 for 15. Did they leave us a review? No, oh. but uh, that's fine. I'll still take a five-star rating. That's good. Yeah, yeah. They know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> And then we're going to do a little bit of upkeep and a little bit of uh, a tune-up. I didn't realize – oops, I just punched my microphone. I didn't realize that whenever we posted the show to iTunes and other platforms, um, Mark was adding a little bit of an extension on there. And at the very bottom, it had our contact information. Um, it had a different email address that was paranormal at pixelatedsausage.com. Never knew that until uh, today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I did check that email, and if you'd sent us something to that email and you still listen to us, we didn't blow you off. I never knew that was an actual contact email. And um, did we have emails? Um, there was some stuff in there. There was somebody from, like, some psychology department in Washington at a college. Oh, shit. And – I think maybe some emails may have expired because I got a second email that said something like, hey, just trying to reach out to you and follow up, see if you got my last email. And then there was a third email that said, uh, okay, I'll take that as a hint, blah, blah, blah. I won't bother you anymore. So I don't know what it was, if it was phishing, a phishing scam or what. And then there was another one that got me excited because it's like um, haunted house interview. And I clicked on it and it was – basically a scam of like do you want to stay in a real haunted house then come to california and stay in this haunted house we can get you sent with places like the sharon tate house and blah 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 
Oh. And I was just thinking, that sounds kind of like spam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I did check that, but he's going to get that remedied and get the, our actual pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com email uh, at the bottom of all of our emails or all of our uh, show notes. And then we did have a voicemail. Um, we need to change our outro because apparently when Rob left the show, he deactivated that uh, voicemail. Uh-oh. Yeah, didn't know that either. So apparently it just does not work. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to do a little bit of upkeep, folks, and uh, freshen things up a little bit. But yeah, I think that'll that'll do her. Uh, we'll be back next time, uh, next week, in fact, with um, our Cryptid Encounters Part 6. And we'll be talking about gnomes mm-hmm. and there's so much for for a little person there is so much content <laughs> i didn't know you could stack shit that tall but apparently you can <laughs> and then put a red hat on it so <laughs> yeah oh and also uh, before i forget another quick shout out to um the gals over at fear and fame podcast um we have been talking off and on with them on uh, instagram they're another kind of uh I don't want to say up and coming podcast because that seems like it's kind of, um, I don't know, a put down maybe patronizing, but just another, um, another up and coming podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that disrespectfully because we are the same, but yeah, there are newer podcasts out there and they talk about some true crime and some spooky stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, just a, a pretty good solid show. Check them out. They're, uh, Cut from the same cloth, but just kind of a different end of the spectrum from what we talk about most of the time. But yeah, check mm-hmm. them out. Fear and Fame Podcast. And I think with that, we will cut it and we will catch you guys all next time. Peace. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.